going on? This Ethos Clippers podcast coming at you here on Sunday evening after, boy, a crazy ball game that saw the Clippers come back from down 18 to beat the Brooklyn Nets in an incredible fourth quarter. And we're going to break it all down on this podcast. Brandon Marcus joined by Matt Matt Warren. Matt, how are you, my friend? Sports ethos, Clipper Nation, Brandon Marcus, how the heck are you? What a game against the Nets this afternoon. Definitely the craziest fourth quarter in sports on this Sunday, I would have to say. Yeah, listen, you know, that Bills-Chiefs game, eh, whatever. The Lions-Bucks game, eh, whatever. It's all about the Clippers and the Nets. It's funny, I was on a uh, text thread with some friends during that Lions-Bucks game, and I was texting them about the Clippers game, like, while that game was starting to get real tight and close. I'm like, I know you guys don't care, but this has just been absolutely bonkers. They went on a 22 nothing run and just won that game after being down big with 11 minutes left. It was an unbelievable ball game. Really, nobody was really talking about it because the football game was on. But nonetheless, just an absolutely bonkers win that I would say that at the topic of our podcast has certainly changed because of the win, because I know both of you and you and I were ready to come on this podcast and be like, all right, well, no zoo. And here are some flaws that we found, but we'll still talk about those, obviously, but a crazy win for this team and a much needed victory, considering that this team was facing a Brooklyn squad that had lost nine of their last 11. So a good win and you'll take it however they come. That's how we've what we've said on this podcast, Matt, is that a win is a win. And also a huge boost to morale, I believe. Not that the morale wasn't high to begin with and the vibes that we talk about, but but to win a game like this and, and to come back in the fashion that you did with uh, the governor of vibes leading the charge, this just is another arrow in the quiver for the Clippers to, to pull out during playoff time when they're like, look, we could be down by however many. And yes, we can come back. We have come back. So just a, a great win in that respect and just just put another notch on the vibes chart. Take another, an, peel another thing off of Balmer's uh, suit, cut out for the uh, major league hmm. deal, and we are we are off and running. This was a great, great win. And you're right, we were ready to come on this pod and berate the guys for their defensive lapses, for just coming out and looking sluggish, for not having the same energy as the Nets. But lo and behold, once the game got into crunch time, Clippers prevailed. Yeah, and, and they did prevail in a big, big way. And before we continue, of course, a shout out to our friends over at Believe for taking on this podcast. Glad to be over there and being a part of that network. And of course, if you can give us a five-star rating, review the podcast as well. Always does help us grow, as Believe will help us grow as well. All right, so do you want to start at the beginning or do you want to start at the end, Matt? Do you want to start with the good or do you want to start with the bad? Let's, uh, well... I'm going to go back to the old me and the almost always you. Let's start with the bad. The almost always you. Harsh. All right. <laughs> so listen, the the first quarter, um, the Clippers go down 16 nothing, And I got to tell you, man, I'm first of all, I'm tired of hearing about this 1230 stuff and how poorly the Clippers continue to play during the 1230 games. I was talking to a friend earlier, and he said this is probably going to be one of the last 1230 games, considering that once they get to Intuit Dome, they won't have to worry about that. So that is also a very true point, uh, that this will probably be one of the last afternoon games we see the Clippers play in. And so to even go deep in this point doesn't really make a huge difference. However, we will see the Clippers possibly play an afternoon playoff game 
And it's important to note that this team really just sucks um, at this 12 p.m. start. I don't know what it is. It's something that I think they need to break somehow. J.J. Redick talked about it, how it just destroys your rhythm having to play that early. But guess what? The other team has to play early as well. Like, listen, playing an East Coast team, certainly it's beneficial for them. But at the same time, like, Brooklyn's been in L.A. for a couple of days. Like, they played the Lakers a couple of days ago. So they're getting close to West Coast adjusted, you know. And for the Clippers to come out as flat as they did, it's a little bit discouraging that you, on one hand, this Clippers team has done a lot of good things this year. And they've shown how much they value the regular season. But this is just one thing that I feel like they can't get over the hump on, and it does worry me a little bit that the Clippers get put in that 12:30 slot on ABC um, on a Saturday or a Sunday during the playoffs. That it could be a problem. So it, I don't know how you feel about it, but it's a little bit concerning for me. It's a little concerning. You kind of discredited all my jokes in my own Clippers thread, where I talked about East Coast teams, but of course I was joking because it's. It, it they have to travel as well yeah it's it's not that it's not and then i i also said you know paul george is the kind of guy who eats an early dinner about seven o'clock or no, that's not early about five o'clock and <laughs> you know goes to bed Kawhi doesn't eat Harden eats it around you know when the bars close but the governor of vibes westbrook is obviously a brunch guy but having said all that i do think that there is something about and jj reddick was right there's something about this that throws off your rhythm especially after you have four days off and we learned that the Clippers hadn't practiced for three of those days. Yeah. So the, so the rhythm was going to be tough regardless. I do think um, that e- even with the way that the Clippers started in this game, it's, it's actually more of an anomaly than it is. It speaks to the, in the past, the afternoon games. What I mean by that is that what we talked about in the last podcast, this is a different team that I believe is going to come out more prepared and ready to play, especially in a playoff series, if there's an afternoon game, it's going to be in the back of my mind. But no, I'm not going to sort of chalk it up as a loss or, you know, we start in the negative because it's an afternoon game. I have enough faith now, especially after the Clippers pulled this one out, that an afternoon game, despite all the jokes and and all the history of these guys just can't play in the afternoon, and we've we've seen many of them, I'm... I'm it's going to be in the back of my mind, but I'm in, I'm not going to dwell on it. So I think, I think the conversation not, not won't necessarily end, but for me, it's not as, it's not really that big of a deal. That's fair, and, and you brought up a good point. And shout out by the way to Rashawn Haylock who um, took the sidelines today in place of Christina Pink. Rashawn's a guy I've known for a long time, and he has worked his ass off to get to the point where he was today doing sidelines for an NBA game. He does play by play for the Sparks. Um, and he did a bunch of G League games as well on Spectrum Sportsnet. So shout out to him. It was a good report there that said the Clippers didn't even practice until Saturday. And it's worth noting, the Clippers had five days off. And they showed the graphic on Bally's during the game. The Clippers are 0-1 when they've had that much time off. And there is something to be said about starting off that sluggish. And the Clippers did respond with an 18-2 run. And it was a close game. I mean, and then all of a sudden, Brooklyn kept hitting shots. The Clippers' defense was not good at all, and the rotations were very strange, and Ty Lue was just trying to plug the holes here and there without Zoo and try and push the right buttons to figure out what would work, and he finally figured out what would work down the stretch, but 
I mean, you look at what the Clippers did with a center in the first half, and it wasn't good. I mean, whenever Plumlee was in the game or Tice was in the game, they were getting outscored, and you really missed Zoo in that first half. And it was very evident that the Clippers are a team that needs Zoo to thrive um, for the most part, and the defense wasn't very good, and it shows you how important Zoo is. And you say, hey, wait, why does Zoo matter when a lot of the shots are coming from three? Well, it matters because when you have a guy in Zoo that you trust – and he's able to defend the paint, then you're able to have those guys go out a little bit further, and the rotations are a little bit smoother, and you know where guys are going to be all the time when you're playing and you're comfortable with these guys. But with Tyson Plumley, you're not as comfortable with where they're going to be, and the rotations are a little bit sloppier, you're a little bit slower. And that's not to say that it's all because of Zoo. I mean, the Clippers in general were just a step slower the entire game. And after the game, Ty Lue says probably two steps slower when Justin Russo asked him about that. And it's just the defensive effort was not good at all to start. Um, but like like I said, I mean, they started down 16 nothing, but responded 18-2, to which is very, very promising. It's just the defense wasn't very good until that fourth quarter. And thank goodness they stepped it up in the fourth because, yeah, it wasn't very good the first three quarters, Matt. It was terrible the first three quarters. You're right. The rotations were weird. And we said Ty is going to have to figure stuff out on the fly in certain games. And... You know, you have to think that a benefit is not to take anything away from the Nets because I love a lot of players on the Nets. Yeah. But you fall down that that big in a playoff series against a team that is that is a playoff team or you're in, you know a contender. It's going to be really hard to come back the way the Clippers did. So, you know, the level of opponent. And you talk about centers. Nick Claxton is a starting level center, right? Not to say that Plumlee isn't but he's so much better served as a backup to zoo and it, it you, you it was a gaping hole that we did see without without zubats there in in the starting lineup because it throws everything into a tizzy but there were there were some things that at least maybe tyloo and the clippers fell into with some of their small ball small ball lineups some of this harden and westbrook stuff working a little bit better than it had in the past because before it had been a disaster obviously it paid dividends today so Perhaps in the interim, while Zoo's recovering with his Star Wars sweatshirt on, hmm. um, we can so, something that we can we and especially Tyloo can glean from this and maybe make the rotations a little bit more malleable. And perhaps we will see Russell Westbrook a little bit more. Maybe that's sort of what we see coming out here. And then we had Norm Powell again. He he you know he wasn't as as good in the previous games, but he was super clutch this game. A corner three that I, I couldn't. My my neighbors again had to knock on the door, make sure every, everything's okay, because I screamed Norm so loudly. But fantastic performance by him as well. I know the boxer only says twelve points, but he's a plus sixteen. He was two of three from downtown, and those two of three were clutch. He was great. Yeah, I was uh, doing a little dance, and my uh, my kid was sitting on the stool um, at the bar, and he was doing a little dance too after seeing me dance. So it was very enjoyable um, that we were just dancing in the Marcus household. And listen, I mean, in the first half. You look at wait what, a minute. Wait, can I can I interrupt you for a yeah, second? Do we need to do we need to litigate at all? While you mean a, you mean a bar stool at your house, or he was at you guys were at a bar, you and your child? No, it was at my house. Sadly, yeah, okay. no, no. Okay. I'm not at the point to... where I'm bringing the bringing the kids <laughs> to the bar yet. I'm just trying to get I'm trying to get a glimpse into your life. What's going yeah, on listen. during the, a Sunday afternoon for Brandon Marcus? Okay, that's Sorry, fair. That's fair. I think the the last time I made myself uh, go to a bar during the weekend. 
um, on my own. Um, I can't even tell you. May have been in college. So it's been a while, but here we are as an adult, and it's now my kid watching basketball with me. But he listen, he enjoyed it, so it's all good. Um, but, okay, so for the first half, I mean, how often are you going to see PG start 0-6, Kawhi 0-3, Harden 0-1 after one quarter, and then you look in the first 22 minutes of the game, PG, Kawhi, and Harden had as many turnovers as they did made field goals. Shout out to Law Murray for pointing that one out as the game was going on. Like, I mean, it's just an anomaly. It doesn't happen very often. The offense was just so bad. I mean, they're down 12 at the half, and you're wondering, like, listen, it's not terrible because the Nets were 10 of 23 from three, and the Lake, the, the Clippers were just 5 of 12. And when you see that PG and Kawhi had zero threes between them at the half, and Harden was a minus 17, you're like, it can't get much worse. And they did get a little bit worse. Um, then all of a sudden, they came back. But one thing I want to mention before we get to that fourth quarter that I found interesting, um, I talked about it at halftime where I said, I wouldn't expect to see Harden with the bench in the second half. And lo and behold, we actually did see it um, to start the fourth quarter. And to make it even worse, it was Kawhi with the bench for the final four minutes of the third. And Kawhi was two of eight at the time. And the bench just wasn't doing a whole lot. And I was like, all right, this is not the recipe for success at all. And this is what I was referring to earlier with Ty Lue trying to find the right rotations. Did not love um, that he didn't have at least two of Kawhi and PG and Harden on the floor in that second half. I thought it was a little odd that he had just one of those guys with the bench. And that's Kawhi with a final four minutes of the third and then Harden with the bench to start the fourth. And then they finally went small, where they brought in Russell Westbrook to go along. I mean, they had Russell Westbrook on the floor. They had Westbrook, Harden, PG, Kawhi, and uh, Norm Powell. And that was obviously the line of that success. Curious to get your thoughts on the decision to just keep one star on the floor, because I thought the best thing you could have done was take out Harden at the five-minute mark, let's say, of the third quarter, bring him back, for the one-minute mark, go ahead and sit Kawhi at that point so that he gets the whole uh, th- third quarter, fourth quarter break to sit. Bring him back with probably 10 minutes left and then bring PG back. After you sit PG at that point, bring him back with seven minutes left. I thought you could have easily gotten away with that after how long they've had sitting in the last five days. You could have had, had them play major minutes. You could even bump that back to Harden going out in the six-minute mark. You know what I mean? curious if you thought that would have been a better strategy or you think that Ty Lube made the right call in just keeping one guy on the floor it's a little more confounding even after the uh you texted me what Tomer Azarli said uh on x oh yeah about, we haven't even mentioned that yet about Kawhi apparently being under the weather so to leave him out by himself and I, I do think in in this situation in the situation that they were in today you're you're a spot on that they needed two two of the three on the floor at all times. And I, of course it ended up working out in the end. And I don't think it ended up working out because of that strategy. It's like, Oh, Ty Lu, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't second guess you because you ended up winning. That's not the reason they won because Ty Lu stuck with those lineups. I think they should have gone small a lot sooner and, but they really should have uh, kept two of the three on the court. So there's not much that I can argue with your point there. Actually, there's nothing I can argue because I agree completely. Yeah, well, listen, it's it's just one of those things where, um, listen, Ty's brilliant. You and I have brought up things here and there when we've talked about Ty. Um, but it's just one of those things where it does seem like the one 
little bit of a weakness at times that Ty will have is trying to figure out small ball and how it works successfully. Because we talked about in this podcast last week, uh, last year, that when they had Rocco, they had Batum, those guys, that how do you make that small ball work? And how often do you go to it versus sticking with a big man? And he went to it a lot last year. It, he went to it at times that didn't make a lot of sense. And especially when they had a lead and you wanted to have some defense in there with Zoo. And then this year, he had done a great job of keeping Zoo in there. I mean, the quote-unquote Powell Rangers lineup had Zoo in there. Like the death lineup is not a lineup you normally think has a center in it. But for the Clippers, that was the case where Powell was there for man and that, and then plus the three stars and Zoo. And that lineup had been the best for the Clippers. And they went small today, and it just felt like Ty couldn't really figure out what worked. And it listen, it may not be his fault, and by it may not, it's probably not, because he doesn't really have that stretch four that you would like to have. I mean, Daniel Tice ain't it, and that's maybe a thing that they addressed at the trade deadline, and maybe something that we saw today that perhaps that's one of the little flaws for the Clippers, is that when you don't have Zoo, you need that guy to help you go small in that small ball. And it worked today, where Russell Westbrook turned out to be that guy. But maybe the Clippers do need a stretch four, stretch five. They they might need to trade for one. And you know what was a little bit different about today than than last year? Because obviously you have Harden, but during the the end of that, or the, the last stretch of that game, when, when the Clippers went on an amazing run, and I know I said Nick Claxton is a starting center, but he's he is a little bit undersized and he's pretty slight. But you had uh, Westbrook guarding Claxton, and I noticed that a, a bunch. Like Westbrook would be on Claxton, and Westbrook actually was out out hustling him for rebounds and all that kind of stuff. And maybe last year you would have stu- if you went small ball, you would have stuck like uh, Rocco, or or you would have stuck Batum or somebody on Claxton to try to try to shut him down, but. Having Westbrook on Claxton was just an interesting wrinkle, and you know I don't I don't think that Westbrook could guard a lot of the centers in the league. Maybe he could, but today it worked out perfectly uh, when they made that defensive rotation. Just something that I noticed a little bit differently from last year. Yeah, listen, if if you're able to get Claxton to shoot a three at some point, then you're doing it right, and you've clearly thrown them off their game. And it's kind of shades of Rudy Gobert, um, where the Clippers would go small and have a guy on Rudy Gobert and even against Porzingis in the playoffs at times where they really felt like Porzingis was being thrown out in the corner and he was thrown off his game. So shout out to the Clippers for the defensive job they did. Um, And clearly they've figured out at times how to defend against some opposing centers. All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about that fourth quarter. All right. So that fourth quarter, unbelievable outscore the Nets 41 to 15 End the game on a 22 to nothing run. The small ball lineup with Russ instead of Zoo. And then you had Powell with Kawhi, PG, and Harden. And, I mean, first off, the defense. Much better in the fourth quarter. And the defensive intensity finally went up. And you're wondering, where the hell was that for the first three quarters? But Kawhi and PG, two great defensive players, really stepped up. I mean, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges didn't do anything. Um, in that fourth quarter, Cam, I mean, or Cam Thomas didn't really do anything at all. Um, he did have a couple shots here and there whenever the Clippers would get close. I mean, it seemed like whenever the Clippers got to like six or eight, Cam Thomas had an answer, but they were able to step up late when it mattered. Um, I mean, the defense was really good. Let's start there. What were your thoughts on the defensive side of the ball? I really think what stood out to me was PG because 
he was rotating onto double teams to to a Cam Thomas. You know, he would start a lot of times on Mikael Bridges, and there would be switches. But when Cam Thomas would get the ball, especially up top, uh, they would really pressure him. And you know, a- as much of a bucket as Cam Thomas is, he's not that much of a playmaker. And if you pressure him like the, the Clippers were doing, and may- and force him into a bad pass or to a pass in the corner to Claxton or whatever the case may be. I thought the rotation to double team him and just get the ball not only out of his hands, but especially to make him make a decision was great. So that, and and then, like I said, uh, putting Russ on Claxton to make him uncomfortable and just the activity on the boards and the activity and switching and closeouts. But that you mentioned Paul George, his rotation was the thing that stood out Besides Russ on on a uh, Claxton, that's what stood out the most to me. And I'm glad you brought that up because as poorly as PG was in this ball game, he finished five of seventeen from the field. It's another one of those things with Paul George, where in the past you would see Paul George struggle, and maybe that would affect the defensive side as well. PG continues to stay engaged. I mean, even when he was starting off very poorly from the field, he still had the confidence to keep shooting, which you want from him. I mean, the guy is one of the best shooters in the NBA and has been unbelievable from three. They showed the stats on the Valley's broadcast, how amazing he has been this season and the percentages. He's first in so many different categories um, in terms of his career. And then you look at what he did defensively and stepping up because, listen, if your offense isn't going – you can still help the team on the defensive side of the ball. And he and Kawhi were able to do that, despite both of them having pretty poor games um, until late for Kawhi. So hats off to them, because I'm glad you brought that up. It was a good defensive effort, um, especially there by PG. I'm sorry, and Kawhi, Kawhi late too. Um, he really, I, mean, I know we're talking defense, but boy, did he really just take over on the offensive end. And it just goes to show you when how strong he is. He When he went up for this play and, and Cam Johnson tried to get into his way, I mean, I I, I think Cam Johnson did like a, a 720 flip and then landed on the ground just by Kawhi touching his leg. It it was crazy, but I I really do think, and I, I said this, the, the, the stick-to-itiveness, right, of this team is something that has, been, has stood out all year, and it really is prevalent in this game. That's the 2023-2024 Clippers. They stick to it. They don't hang their heads. There's no woe is me. If it's not going for me, then the other guy's going to step up, or the other guy's going to step up, or everybody's going to step up, or the governor of vibes, Russell Westbrook, is going to step up. There is something about this team that they are playing for each other, like I said, for each other, for Ty Lue, and for us, the fans of the Clippers, and it is it is a sight is a sight to be seen because if if they keep doing this, playing for each other, playing defense, even when it's 16-0, right in the first quarter, or even when you're getting blown out, you can have a 41 to 15 fourth quarter, go on a 22 nothing run, and put it in the rearview rearview mirror and say, hey, that's another notch in the belt. Yeah, and so with PG, I mean, you're down by 11. PG still has the confidence to shoot. I mean, you're down by 11 with 5.33 left. PG makes the three with 5.17 left to make it an eight-point game. Kawhi gets the dunk to make it a six-point game. Kawhi, two more free throws. Norm, like you said, a massive three from Norm Powell to make it a one-point game. Then Kawhi with a jumper. Kawhi, two more free throws. Kawhi with a three. um, That made it a six-point game with 104 left. So really, I mean, I mentioned all those buckets. It really was Kawhi. 
that took over with a couple of big shots from Paul George and Norm Powell. And shout out to Kawhi for, again, he started really poorly. And you wondered, all right, well, he's sick. What's this going to mean going forward? Is he going to be able to contribute late? And he did. And it, it just tells you the type of level that Kawhi Leonard is on this season, where even if he was questionable coming in, which should have been on the injury report, listed as questionable with an illness, if he was questionable to possibly play. I mean, Ty Lue said, I'm not even sure if he was going to play. Then he probably should have been on the injury report. Um, just saying. Then if he's able to contribute like this, it just shows that he really is in Terminator mode. And you and I have talked about him as an MVP candidate. And an MVP candidate makes those plays down the stretch when you're making a comeback. And he did exactly that. And just to add to that, I've heard a couple of people in the media saying, uh, even today, podcasts that came out today, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard uh, contract extension, that's why he's playing this much. Uh, guess what, guys? He got the contract extension and he still played under the weather today. So let's just put that to bed. Yeah, that's a stupid take. Um, I mean, listen, you and I have talked about previously um, when Kawhi had that extension and we were talking about, all right, well, um, in the previous extension, all right, well, since he signed, you have the ability, you can bring him back earlier since he's already been paid and you don't have to worry about him getting hurt again because I'm sure he'll be okay since he already has money. Um, this was back a couple of years ago and who knows? I mean, it didn't happen. It, I, this has nothing to do with money. Um, this has to do with Kawhi Leonard being Kawhi Leonard, and he ended up playing 36 minutes. It's not like he played that many minutes. He played 36 of the 48. We've seen him play more. Um, in the start of the season, you and I were tracking those guys' minutes, and they were mostly playing 37, 38, 39 at times. PG played 35 today. Kawhi played 36, and Harden played 38. Um, and then Westbrook played 31. So uh, I, uh, that's a silly take. Um, speaking of Westbrook, though, goodness gracious, man, this guy has a role on this team. And there are times when the Clippers need energy. And when the Clippers come out as flat as they did, and they're losing um, in the second half, listen, there are times where Russbrook, Russell Westbrook will attack the hoop and be completely out of sorts. And there are times where it was nearly a turnover, where he went into the paint area and it was a jump ball. Luckily, he was able to get the ball back on the jump. There are times where he'll go and he'll take a three that he probably shouldn't. I mean, when he hits a shot... Most likely, if he's feeling it, he'll come back down the other way and see if he can get another one off. Uh, but, man, today, 10 of 16 from the field, 9 rebounds, 6 assists, a steal and a block, only 2 turnovers for him in 31 minutes. The Clippers needed energy, and this is one of those games where you're thankful you have a guy like Russell Westbrook because previously, this Clippers team, they fold when they go down as big as they did. When they go down... That by 18 points, the Clippers hang, hang it up. I mean, when was the last time in the last couple of years the Clippers went down this big and then came back when they had their stars on the floor? I mean, you look at the Luke Kennard game against Atlanta, but you look at when they have their stars and they're coming back in a game. It doesn't happen very often. This is a different Clippers team, and I think part of that has to do with Russell Westbrook and what he brings to your team and that never-quit attitude, continuing to bring the energy. So an incredible game by him, Matt. I was really, really impressed. Yeah, and as much as Westbrook and Kennard get um, compared to each other, I, I will bring this up to about Westbrook. And I was thinking about this, and I'm glad you mentioned like his his three pointers that are ill advised. No, 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 and it's his drives down the lane, and when he when he gets on a a personal heat check, I was thinking about it like this. And for this season in particular, this season alone, 
how much Russell Westbrook being the governor of vibes, being that smiley guy after the game and saying, I, you know, it, the fans got us this win. There, there's a thing where, you know, um, if, if, a, if a center is just grinding and just playing and getting beat down on the defensive end, you got to feed the big man. Well, does, this is kind of the same concept with Westbrook this season. Like, can we just feed the big man? Give him his couple of bad shots. He's going to do it. He's Westbrook. Let him have a little fun out there. But when push comes to shove, he's going to have games like this. He's going to bring the energy. He's going to bring be that spark plug off the bench. Can we just let the big man eat? Like, let's just let Westbrook. I know it's painful to watch some of those threes that we know are just going to clang off the side of the rim. And I know some of those drives into traffic that are obviously going to go nowhere are terrible. And perhaps in the playoffs, what Russ cut it out. But for right now, and for what he did today, and for what he's been doing off the bench, accepting his role, just and and I mean not just accepting it, excelling at his role. Can we just let the big man eat? Yeah, and some numbers that supported today's game, uh, courtesy of Law Murray at Law Murray VNU on X. Twenty three points for Russ. This is the most in a Clippers win this season. So it shows you that when he's going to go crazy, it may not be in a win. Um, Ten of sixteen field goals. Most field goals since Game 4 versus the Suns in the playoffs. Nine rebounds. Most since the first day of Kwanzaa. Um, six assists. Only two turnovers to go with that. 31 minutes. The most since November 12th. November 12th. It is currently January 21st. It's been over two months since Russ has played that many minutes. It shows you how he has really taken a step back and has taken a role that has been much diminished from where he was previously. A plus 22, highest since October 29th. Granted, it's tough to be plus minus that high when you're not playing that many minutes, but a plus 22, highest since October 29th. So a huge game for Russell Westbrook. And also um, the Russ Westbrook, Norm Powell, James Harden, PG, and Kawhi Leonard lineup went plus 20 in six minutes as a lineup during the fourth quarter. So clearly that small ball worked amazing for Ty Lu and a shout out to those guys. That lineup was an amazing instant success, which was great to see. And that's a wild lineup and an, yeah. and an instant instant success. Like you said, like what a crazy lineup that I just, like I said, another quiver or another arrow in the quiver of the Clippers that you can pull out that lineup at, at any moment now. I know Ty Lu's the genius that we said he is. He's, he's putting that one away. He's like, okay, okay, I can use this. Yeah, I mean, listen, and another uh, stat courtesy of Justin, the Clippers were plus 19 in 13 minutes today with Russ, Harden, PG, and Kawhi on the floor. Plus 19 in 13 minutes. They had been minus 40 in nearly 119 minutes coming in. So a shout-out to them that they were able to completely turn it around. And if the Clippers are able to figure that part out, because that had been one of the weaknesses, Matt, is that the Clippers had just not been able to figure out that lineup at all with those four on the floor. But if you're able to figure out the Hall of Famer lineup, then all of a sudden, there's not many weaknesses for this team. They have the zoo lineup they can have. They can go super small with those four dudes. They have the lineup where they can have James on the floor with Kawhi, with PG and Russ um, separately in their two-man lineup. Like There are so many lineups that work for the Clippers. And this goes back to the start of the pod where, listen, Ty Lue certainly is had a couple of bad lineups today, 
but he's got to figure out something that works. And so he tried different things and he may have thought, hey, we may not come back in this one. I want to see what works going forward. And he did find a lineup and it worked amazing. And that's why they were able to come back. And so that's the key is that you try and find these lineups. And if the Clippers are able to get success with those four Hall of Famers, it really makes them even tougher to beat going forward, Matt, because it's one less weakness on the belt for the Clippers. Yeah, you're right. The the Hall of Fame Fame lineup was, I mean, it was actually credited or discredited for the losing streak right after the Harden trades. Like, these guys can't play together. There's no way Harden and Westbrook could be on the court together. But it turns out, like Ty Lue said, it it just takes some time. And it just it takes guys getting used to each other. And this is all going to be a huge experiment. Like we've been saying, like everybody's been saying in Clipper Nation, while Zoo is out, because we know how important he is to the team, this is going to be a huge experiment. And the only silver lining to Zoo being out is Ty Lue does get to experiment a little bit. And maybe we do stumble into something that actually works that we can actually use in certain scenarios in the playoffs moving forward. So, you know, Zoo, I think it's three weeks now until he gets reevaluated. And we all know that reevaluated, especially playing fantasy, we all know reevaluated does not mean coming back. Yeah. But, f- but for these next three weeks, it's going to be so, so, so interesting to see how these lineups progress, how they mature. I mean, that's going to go into the trade deadline. So, it's going to be wild to see what's going to happen with the Clippers. Um, and it's going to be a wild ride as we saw today. Yeah. And a big win. Uh, the Clippers now are three games up on new Orleans as they sit in that four spot. They're two and a half back of Minnesota. They're one and a half back of both Denver and OKC. So those four teams have started to separate themselves from the pack and the more wins the Clippers can rack up the better, but they're about to go on a road trip that will surely test them. And, They're going to start playing a lot of games. I mean, the Clippers obviously had those five days off, but all of a sudden you're going to start seeing them play three to four games every single week. So they'll play three games next week. They'll play four games week after that, three games week after that, four, actually five games. No, sorry, two games week after that. Then it's the all-star break. Uh, And they'll have three games coming out of the all-star break. So shout out to the NBA for giving the Clippers three games in four days right after the all-star break, including a game against at, at OKC uh, to start things off. Uh, but yeah, man, let, let's talk about what the Clippers have to come. Uh, one more home game. That's against the Lakers on Tuesday, a team that has had the Clippers number, which is very rare to hear, but the Clippers have not done well against Lakers so far this year. Um, they lost 106-103 on January 7th, and they lost 131-25 in overtime on November 1st. So we'll see what the Clippers have this time around. You expect them to be favorites in that game and a game that they should win. And then after that, at Toronto, Boston, Cleveland, Washington, Detroit, Miami, and Atlanta. They're on the road from January 26th all the way until February 5th when they take on Atlanta. And of course, you've got a back-to-back in there with Toronto and Boston. So the Clippers play Boston on the second game of a back-to-back, which is not nice at all. Another back-to-back in there at Miami for the first game, at Atlanta for the second game. Um, A tough road trip coming up. We'll talk more about that one uh, midweek because we'll have the Laker game. We'll do a breakdown, and then we'll have a podcast before that Friday game at Toronto. But 
I don't know, man. This is this is going to be a, a real find out what this team is made of. When you got to go to Toronto, Boston, Cleveland, Washington, Detroit, Miami, and Atlanta, that's a seven-game road trip, if I did my uh, math there correctly, that you'd hope the Clippers would go at least five and two in. It should be interesting. You want to hope that a road trip like this can galvanize the team, make them even tighter than they are. There are some really scary opponents Um especially Boston on a back-to-back. The Cavs are balling despite missing some of their players. The Heat, always tough. The Hawks, the Pelicans. We're back at home against the Pelicans, but we got to focus on this game on Tuesday against the Lakers, who, like you said, have for some reason had our number, although I feel like they only have like um, six digits of our number, right? We haven't given them the entire number. Like, you you can can call us if if you can guess the next number. I feel like we're going to take that back, win this game against the Lakers. I won't make a bold prediction, but I will make a prediction that we'll win. I do think we take this game against the Lakers and then embark on just a very, very tricky road trip. This is going to be very telling. You're, you're exactly right. The road trip will... I, I can't wait to see where we stand after this. And of course, we'll talk a lot about it. Here's the thing with that Laker game is that we saw that Brooklyn had these wings that could defend the Clippers. That's why the Lakers have the Clippers number a little bit because they've got guys like Prince and Reddish and Vanderbilt that they can throw um, at the Clippers along with LeBron James, of course. And so when they've got those guys that can defend the Clippers and make things a little more difficult, that being said, it's worth remembering again, the Clippers lost by three in the last game against the Lakers, and they shot under 40%. And this is a Clippers team that's been shooting very well previously. And they shot 38% from three. In that game, the Clippers had 14 turnovers. So I would like to think that the Clippers will correct things and they'll be able to beat the Lakers. And I, I would be surprised if that game is close because I just think the Clippers coming off this win – um, against Brooklyn, I think it'll be one of those kick-in-the-ass type moments. And after losing two games to the Lakers, I think the Clippers don't need any more motivation than that or they need to start winning some ball games against the Lakers. And in that five-point loss in overtime to the Lakers, the Clippers, by the way, shot 47.5% in that game. The Lakers shot 51% in that ball game. So can they shoot that well again? Can D'Angelo Russell go 10 of 19 again? I don't know. Uh, So it'll be interesting to watch the Clippers and how they perform against the Lakers. But two games where the Clippers gave up 51% shooting in the first game and the second game they shot less than 40%. Something tells me it'll be closer to the mean for both teams and that will allow the Clippers to pull out the W. I think they're going to pull the W. I I mean, you know, I fear no Suns. Um, I fear no... Well, I guess that's it. I fear no Suns. But I do fear Anthony Davis and I... The only thing that gives me pause is I don't think the Lakers are very good, but they are very big. Yeah. They are very long, and I do believe, like you said, they're they're long, but especially AD in particular, it just gives me pause every time I look at the matchup, and especially with, with Zoo out. Not that he's like the AD stopper or anything, but it's going to be, I think that is going to be the focus. Let's see what AD does. I'm not really concerned about Reeves or Torian Prince or Reddish or Christian Wood, you know what I mean, or anybody else that they can really really throw at us. I think I think AD, do you let him get his and you stop everybody else, or do we just try to stop him? It's going to be interesting to watch, but I do believe the Clippers will, should and will win this game. 
Yeah. Well, listen, let's hope that it ends up coming through and the clip or ends up coming true rather and the Clippers come through with a W. Of course, remember, you can always follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Matt Warren, Twitter slash X and me at BD Marcus. The Sports Ethos Clippers podcast is on there as well. If you give us that five star rating review the podcast as well, we will read your review on this pod. So until next time, he's Matt and I'm Brandon. Thanks to our friends over at the Believe Network. And go Clips. Go Clips.